you're tuned into PBA FM on 89.7 with Bianca. And I'd like to welcome my guest on the program, Abbot George Burke, founder and director of the Light of the Spirit Monastery in Cedar Crest, New Mexico, United States. And today is part three of our discussion. And it's about his book that uh, Abbot George has written titled The Dhammapada for Awakening, a commentary on Buddha's practical wisdom. If someone's listening and they want to change, how do they do that? And I would just refer to page 101 where it says their own enemy and human beings are astonishing, including in their foolishness. One of the most astonishing follies, this is to quote from your book, is their insistence on doing things which bring them nothing but bitterness inwardly and outwardly. Aren't we having a good time? They ask their fellow fools, shuffling through the little dreary lives that are crammed with activity that is really doing nothing in the end result. Why are some people so resistant to change, even if their ways are clearly not serving them? And how can people change? Well, first, some people don't change out of fear. Second, some people don't change because they don't know there's anything else. You know, we find this. We often talk about how in families, negative traits can be passed down and down and down. And uh, uh, sometimes a person just doesn't see any other way way out. But once a person wants to change, well, that itself is already a profound change. Think of the people you know that, again, are just sort of classically repeating this over and over through decades of their life. So if the day comes where they stop and say, I wish I was different. I want to be, be different. It's very, very important. It isn't just I want to act differently. I want to be differently. That itself is already the beginning, you see. That's already the beginning of the process. And what they do is you say, I know inside me. The light is inside me. And that's also, Bianca, why Buddha, you know, he had what he saw what he called the Eightfold Path, which... Uh, were the eight essential things you need in your life for change. And the very last one, you see, is right meditation. In other words, you stop and you turn inside. And you, you go within, and much of what you do is you just relax. And you, there's a very interesting verse in the Bible that says, if God is God, then let him be God. Well, that's what we need to do. If we're God, then we need to let ourselves be God. And uh, a lot of, Buddha was very intent on the idea that people should have times of sitting and just being aware. And it's like being in a room. It's sort of like when dawn comes. At first, it could be so dark in the room you can't see a thing. And then slowly you see a little bit, and you see a little more, and you see a little bit more. And then eventually day comes, and you see very clearly. So the, the habit of looking in, you know, it's a very interesting uh, verse in the book of Psalms. Be still and know. And so they put in the words, that I am, but actually... Uh, that I am God. It actually says, be still and know I am God. And, I and that's the words. Yes. So just as 
the ability to be quiet and to be still. And of course, the mind is jiggling here and there, and that's its havoc. And you don't get mad at the mind. Uh, you, uh, I was lucky on one level that I come, came from a family where uh, people didn't yell at their children or scream at their children. They just they talked to their children. They assumed they had good sense, and uh, so they talked to them. And children didn't behave. I didn't. I had I had thirty first cousins because it was a big family, and I didn't have any of my cousins who were so-called behavior problems because. All of our parents just said, look, don't do it, and here's why you don't do it. And uh, uh, so um, we, we need to start educating ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Buddha is called uh, self-awakened in the, in the Buddhist text. And that's it. No one else is going to awake us but ourselves. And so we need to be quite, we need to get in touch with ourselves. And there's lots of layers that's not, you know. And sometimes, oh, back to my family, is oftentimes when kids did ridiculous things, as long as they didn't burn down the house, our parents would just laugh at us. And uh, I've, seen, I've seen that in India, too. I've seen unruly really children carrying on, and the parents are just smiling or else they're overtly, they're overtly laughing because, well, this is a child, this is silly, and it's going to pass, and it does. And also, so we need that kind. Sometimes we have to be our own father and mother, <laughs> our own grandfather, and ultimately our own our own God. So uh, it's, it's a know. good thing for the parents to let the child make some mistakes or be a bit silly. We well, yeah, and for them to know. See, if the child, I I, I know a little girl who is very very intelligent. I mean, very. She was quite precocious. And her mother uh, talked to her a lot about, you know, what is correct, what's incorrect, and so on, and never in a bullying way. But And so she told her, now, Rachel, thus and thus is so, you know, this is what you should do. And Rachel looked at her and said, but if I don't, you'll love me anyway, won't you? what a child needs to have this confidence I've seen people I I grew up alongside people in school and I looked at people and I knew their problem is that there's not one person in the world that they can say they love me and it will always be the same way that's true that's true yes nothing uh, a parent hopefully should be the kind of person and tell their child, whatever you do, I love you. I love you always. Let May I tell you a story about Yogananda? Yes. You know, Yogananda came to America in 1920. He left this world in 1952. And there was a certain person who, from very early, when he moved to Los Angeles in the 1920s, Never lost, never lost an opportunity to defame him, to criticize him, to even speak falsely against him, and knowing it was false. And he would come and hang around a lot. And then he'd, he'd like, come to when there were events there at Yogananda Center, and then he'd, like, come up to people and start 
sniping about Yogananda and trying to get them to uh, believe that he he wasn't a genuine, worthy teacher and so on. He did this for years. Yogananda knew all about it. Yogananda used to sometimes send this man presents. The man would send them back. And yet he'd always come around, see, the cry for help. And so only a week or two before he left his body, uh, this man was there at the, at the headquarters of Yogananda's organization. And Yogananda came up to him, looked at him, and Yogananda's eyes filled with tears. And he said, I want you to always remember this one thing. I will love you always. Mm. And the man was just, it, somehow that really shocked him. And he went home and he sat and he thought, all of these years and all the things he knows I've done, I've tried to do harm to him, you know, his reputation, and try to get people to not even pay attention to him. And he thought, and here he says this, and I know he meant it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he went, after a few days, he went rushing back uh, to, to Yogananda's uh, headquarters center. And uh, when he asked to see him, they said, oh, but uh, he died three days ago. And, of course, he felt terrible about it, but he remembered. He said, he loves me always. Mm. So he loves me now. And and this healing came, you see. Yogananda was the embodiment of love. There, there were people. He was stopped on the streets of big cities by people with guns. And... Uh, there was one man that came up, and, you know, there's there are people out there that are a bit loony. And one time, uh, this man came up with a gun. It was in the evening, and no one was around, and I, was in, I think he was in New York City. And he came with a gun, and he said, I'm going to kill you because you talk about democracy in your lectures. And Yogananda just looked at him, and and he loved him. And suddenly the man dropped the gun said, forgive me, you have taken my evil away. Wow. See, this is it in, in the Bible. You remember Peter even swears and says, I don't know who he is, and denies that he even knows Jesus and, uh, you know, that he's ever had anything to do with him. And it says, Jesus turned and looked at him. Jay. And he went out and he wept bitterly. But you see, it wasn't a word of reproach, Bianca. Jesus looked at him with the look that said, you are mine forever, I love you. Yes. And then he realized, it was love that revealed to him his own uh, mistake, his own foolishness. So the message so, is this, yeah, sorry, continue. Uh, no, that, I was just going to say that the string, the constant I'm, I'm feeling in all of this is love everyone wants love to those words I care this is this is what causes so many problems for people is if they don't have love or someone doesn't care for them but for and also it reiterates the fact the power of prayer that we can all silently in our mind when we come across things that uh, we're not happy with whether it be a situation or, or a person to just have that 
mind power and just send them that love like you said that look because we can all heal through that because if someone went up to someone who was being rude and said it's okay you know I forgive you I understand you that that would annoy them so so just the power of the mind and sending that genuine genuine energy through the mind is more powerful than words yes very definitely and again but again see you've got to be based in your own inner awareness your own inner consciousness because let's face it we've led many lives we have all these impressions in our mind in sanskrit they're called samskaras and they can pop up to the surface unexpectedly sometimes we say how was it i I remember talking to a man uh, it was after i had been a yogi for a while and i came back to my hometown and uh there had been this very religious woman I'd known. I'd gone to school with her uh, daughter, and uh, I called up, and her husband answered. And uh, I asked to speak to her. He said, well, she's not here. And anyway, <laughs> she had completely gone off the rails and uh, walked out on him and her daughter, and uh, it, it, was an, it was pretty much a mess. And he said, so... We can tell that all along she was just a hypocrite. Well, you know, I realize he's angry and he's in pain. I'm not going to try to reason with him on this. But, of course, it wasn't true. It just was that buried in her subconscious were certain elements, and suddenly they came up, and she didn't have a way to deal with them. This, again, is why we need, Buddhists use a wonderful word, cultivation. In other words, just like when you make a garden, You've got to repair the soil. You've got to see that everything is there, and you keep looking after it, and you weed the garden. And uh, a a friend one time said to me, uh, plod rhymes with God. So sometimes you just Mm. plod away at it. And uh, again, when you have that inner basis, it says, for example, in one of the uh, books about yoga in India, that... In the presence of a person absolutely perfected in nonviolence, and, and, and that's a part of love too, you see, uh, enmity cannot arise. And uh, that's been shown in the lives of people, again, like Yogananda, where people come into their presence with negative intentions, but then it, it, it melted away. And, you know, they, this happened with Buddha more than once. In fact, one time there was an elephant that had gone crazy, and they set it loose where they knew Buddha was. And, I mean, it was a killer elephant. And so it comes rushing toward Buddha. But when it got very near him, it stopped. And it was perfectly normal. Okay. Energy, and so, energy. Yes, you see, we can really, but first, we can't help people till we've helped ourselves, till we've stabilized ourselves. And that's not a, a simple thing. That's why I've written uh, one of the other books I said you, Om Yoga Meditation. Um, You've you got to figure out how to get in there and find out, well, this really is, is real, and, and these potentials, yes, they're in me, so they must be in other people too. And see, when you've dealt with yourself, a lot of times it's said facilely. They'll say, oh, you've got to love yourself. If you don't love yourself, you won't love others. Well, 
what if what you know yourself is extremely unlovable? <laughs> what you've got to do is get in touch with the part of yourself that is lovable. And when you find it's in you, well, then you'll know it's in them. And, and that makes a whole difference uh, of dealing with people. I came across this proverb. It's a Cherokee proverb. And it goes, there is a battle of two wolves inside all of us. One is evil. It is anger, jealousy, greed, resentment, lies, inferiority and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, humility, kindness, empathy and truth. And the question is, the wolf that wins, which wolf wins? And the answer is, the one you feed. Yes, exactly. And the wonderful thing about that is that the the bad wolf, <laughs> which is sometimes really a big bad wolf, can be changed and absorbed into the good wolf. It can be tamed. Yeah, and more than tamed, actually made then positive. This, this is this is uh, you know very 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 important that you see. People say, how do I get rid of the ego, or i got to get rid of this red, red, red. No, you just need to change it, because everything about us is potentially a perfect thing. It's potentially perfect. We just have to bring the perfection to ourselves. That's easy to say. You understand, Bianca, I've been working on this for something like, 56 years. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> may I ask, is there a, what is the purpose of ego? Because when, as we all understand and know very well, that ego out of control can destroy people's lives, but ego obviously maintained, is there, what is the point to ego? Because we can't, do we get rid of it ever? Well, you see, there's, you, uh, ego is sort of the, uh, the hand puppet that we create and fool ourselves with. Mm. Uh, in reality, the sense and awareness, I exist. I mean, uh, that seems pretty fundamental, but a lot of people run around and live life so instinctually uh, that I don't think they even pause to say, wait a minute, I'm a conscious entity. And, mm. <laughs> so the truth is, ego is, is that sense of I am mm -hmm. out of control and not doing what it's supposed to do. Now, if you see someone that has a, uh, say, a tool they're misusing, you don't tell them to throw the tool yeah. away. You show them how they use it. So this, right. this is very, very important that, for example, somebody wrote to me just today and talked about, you know, duality and unity and all this kind of stuff. And usually everybody says, oh, well, unity is a thing, and let's avoid duality. What, uh, so I'm going to write back to him and say, well, first of all, if there wasn't duality, you couldn't have asked me this question, could you? Mm. And if you didn't have a sense of duality, you couldn't ask it. So you see, again, it's what you do with it, you know, uh, you can take a knife and slice bread, or you can kill your neighbor. Mm. But, uh, you see, the thing is, we understand that uh, it's good to not have everything running riots so that everybody on the block has got their own machine gun. But 
uh, and it's good for there to be some restriction. But what we've really got to do is get out of our inner mind yes. that tendency to harm. You see, it's it's very very interesting. You see, you can live in a, a non-injurious way, but you're just reining in the fact that you'd really like to give somebody a good kick. <laughs> and true. And this is one of the reasons why Yogananda's autobiography of a yogi is one of the most important books that a person can ever read, because he has covered so much in those three or so hundred pages. It's amazing. And he tells about how uh, uh, his teacher um, said to him one time, real ahimsa, real nonviolence, non-injury, is the absence of the desire to hurt or to harm. Right. And, and this is, so sometimes we can, be, we can be patient in the sense that we put up with people. Mm. But at the same time, and the thing is, it's it's that impulse to strike out that needs to be gone. Not not first, it needs to be controlled, and then it needs to be gone. So uh, that's very very important too, because uh, my wonderful wonderful friend Swami Shivananda Rishikesh, who was one of the greatest yogis of the 20th century, and uh, he. He had a motto that actually was on a great big sign in the in the in in one of the rooms where we used to get together with so-called satsangs, for like spiritual discourses and so on. And it said, "Be good, do good." In other words, be is so necessary before do. Yeah. You know. Now, there are some people that they just act positively. I've known people that had a very positive philosophy, and so they acted in a very positive way. But in reality, interiorly, they were not really positive. And usually I found they were very tense. They were very kind of anxious because they were saying, oh, 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 I mustn't do that because that's not good. I mustn't think of that. Etc. You you follow me? Indeed. So the thing is, again, we've got to see. We already are good. We just have to bring that goodness out, and, and it's very very important. We have to understand. We see. We think that if we never lie, that means we're truthful. But see, that's negative. Uh, okay, don't lie. Don't steal. Okay, don't kill. Well, obviously, that's, that's better than nothing. But we must be in such a point where we are not because we're uh, positive robots, but because we've really awakened inwardly, we can't lie. We can't steal. We can't kill, literally, because that violates our nature and other people's nature. So once we've come into our own nature which is the kingdom of God within, then there isn't any question about it. So it isn't, uh, it isn't do good, be good. It's be good, do good. Yes. And it's very hard for us in this world, which is 
constantly pulling us out externally, making us lose awareness of who we are, to, you know, we, we tend to get that backwards. And uh, it's, it's very important. So creating that stillness and space and, and that meditative space. It's, it's absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. This book, The Dharma Pada for Awakening, a commentary on Buddha's practical wisdom written by Abbot George Burke, who's my guest on the program. And this book is available on Amazon in Australia in Kindle format. And also it's available on your website, which is ocoy.org. And on your website, people can find podcasts, articles, many things. Yes, and excuse me. <coughs> and you've written a couple of other books also, which they can find on your website. Yes, and they can find some uh, podcasts of my uh, conversations with Bianca of Australia. Oh, thank you. I have seen them there. That's great. <laughs> now, can you just tell me your name in brackets on at the end of the book, Abbot George Burke, and then in brackets, Swami. Could you say the full name? Because I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, Nirmalananda. Yep. Swami Nirmalananda Giri. So could you yes. just share with us that name, what that means? Uh I was given that name in uh, 1963 in July uh, in India. Uh, I became a monk. I became a monk of, of what's called the Order of Shankara or the Swami Order uh, of Shankara. And uh, that uh, seems peculiar because Abbot George Burke means, well, this is a Christian and this is someone who's head of a monastery. But um, that's one of the geniuses of India. There's really quite a, a, a number of people in India today that are um, active. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of Roman Catholics have also become members of the Order of Shankara because the basic idea of the Order of Shankara is you're going to seek Dedicate yourself to the search for enlightenment. Well, every human being has the light inside them, and every human being can uncover that light. So, um, whereas the, the missionaries in India want everybody to be warring with each other, and you have so-called Hindu fundamentalists, just like you have in other religions, and they don't want people to be getting along, but... Uh, there are some people that they, we not only get along, we happen to be both sides because the truth is there's only one side, and that's the divine life. Yes. So I'm a member of the Order of Shankaracharya, and I'm also a Christian monk. Beautiful. Because, you see, it, the, the fundamental philosophy of India is just like mathematics, you know. No one would ever say... Well, I'm not going to study Euclidean geometry because uh, Euclid was a heathen and I'm not. <laughs> mm, yep. And if we really get down to the essence, this was the genius. You see, India is old, has a long tradition, and all kinds of developments have gone on. But if we go down to the basic principles, they apply to everybody. It's a universal view. That, that is that's actually the truth. Lovely.
I'd also like to give a shout out to Brother Simeon and he's been very helpful, both of you, when we are liaising via email to arrange these interviews. Uh, he's been very helpful and I just want to say thank you and God bless. Thank you for all his help. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you. And um, Abbot George, we've come to the end of the session. Any last words for our listener? Just keep hoping and just keep praying and know that in time everything will come about as it should, when it should. We have to be patient with ourselves. You know, if you plant a plant, a flower in your yard, you don't go out and keep yelling at it to yeah. grow fast. Great analogy. <laughs> oh, see, that's it. Growth. It's growth. It's evolution. <clears throat> I had a um, actually a professor from medical school say to me one time, any rapid and profound change in the body is pathological. And this can be the same where we keep saying, I want to instantly be different. Yeah. I want to instantly change. And we have to be patient with ourselves. Um, there was a great teacher in India who used to say, a lightning flash comes in a moment, lights up everything brilliantly, and then it's dark again. But the light of day comes steadily and finally comes to be full. And so we have to be willing to grow. We have to be willing to dawn and so we need to be patient with ourselves as well. Where did you get that lightning analogy from? I love that. Um, there, well, again, if you read Yogananda's autobiography, which I greatly recommend, you'll find a whole chapter there uh, called uh, The Blissful Mother of Bengal about uh, one of the major, and in later times the major spiritual figure, of India. Her name was Anandamai Ma. Anandamai means filled with bliss. And bliss the, the book's called Yogananda? His book is called Autobiography of a Yogi. Oh, okay. A whole chapter is about his meeting with her and, uh, you know, his, and, and his impressions of her. And she, uh, she would say that, that, uh, you know, this is the way... So a lot, we have to be, there are people that suddenly, I've had it, I had it happen to me. It was like lightning struck me. And suddenly I realized karma's true, reincarnation's true. We evolved, there's many worlds, not just this world and all this. But it, it, it wasn't really a lightning strike. It was more like um, the jack-in-the-box popping out. It's been there all along. And suddenly, it just surfaced. Suddenly, yes. my higher self said, okay, stupid time is over. Uh, let's get a little right perspective on life and yourself. And kabang, <laughs> it happened. And Bianca, it did happen in a moment. Wow. Oh. Then I had to assimilate it. I had to work on it. And I had to see, how do I live this? You know, I read the Bhagavad Gita, which is a fantastic book. It, it too, is a book of universal spiritual wisdom. It's amazing what it contains. 
I need to increase my list of books because seriously, this is just amazing, all this information and your book, The Dharma Pada for Awakening, a commentary on Buddha's practical wisdom. I must get out of this chair because the next people are coming in the door. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful talking to you like usual. Well, it's been wonderful or dare I say part four coming in a few months. <laughs> Anytime. Awesome. Thank you, Abbot George. Have a wonderful evening and God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>